As a musician, I've always taken a special fancy to the songs especially about the Advent season. There's just something about this season of preparation that really strikes a chord with me, and it's something that I really enjoy. So whether it's Come Thou Long Expected Jesus on Jordan's Bank or Creator of the Stars of Night, there's just so many different choices, and each one has their own characteristic and their own beauty. But I find that the one that speaks to me the most is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now, it's a fairly lengthy hymn, but nonetheless, the way that it's structured is just so profound. Because notice the verse, and I'll start with the first one. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. And then the refrain, and it's something much different. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. That all of the sorrow, all of the mourning, all of the pain of the verse is all but forgotten by that beautiful refrain, because it invites us to that theme of rejoicing, something that we celebrate today. Because the entrance antiphon for Mass today, Rejoice in the Lord always, I shall say it again, rejoice, indeed the Lord is near. That this is a profound moment, that we've just crossed that halfway point to the season of Christmas, and because of that, we're starting to build with joy and fill our hearts with that anticipation for the coming of Christ. But there's a catch. Are we filled with that joy? Are we really rejoicing in the anticipation and the glory of Christ, or are we kind of snared in the other things that come up in life? Because the readings in the gospel really try to entertain that thought, but also to get us to see that need for rejoicing, especially as we draw near to the season of Christmas and to the Lord's coming. We start off this morning with the reading from Isaiah, and this is a beautiful and profound one because it starts to indicate that joy of being close to the Lord and close to his coming. Now, we know the context of this, this passage and the way that, the, that Isaiah is prophesying to the Israelites, but nonetheless, it's something that's beautiful and important anyway. Because he starts to begin to speak that the desert will be an overflowing torrent, that the steppe will be filled with blooms and blossoms and with glad rejoicing, that there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more exile, all of these different things that are being said, and that the glory of the Lord will be in their midst. But further, it goes on, because it doesn't want to just kind of leave it at that and say that it's very abstract, but it wants to give something really tangible, really profound, really powerful for those that are in captivity to listen to, that the lame are going to leap like a stag. They're not just going to be able to stumble along and walk, but they're truly going to be able to leap for joy, or the blind are going to be able to see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, and they're going to even be able to sing because of all of the power that the Lord's might and majesty and presence is really going to bring to them. So it's going to be something that's very profound, that there's going to be no more mourning and no more sorrow because the Lord will truly be in their midst. And as the Israelites hear this, you can imagine just how filled with joy and overpowered their hearts would be at this good news and coming that the, and the news that the Lord indeed is drawing near. We move on to that letter of St. James, and it's also giving that similar theme, that it's telling about the Lord's coming and he's drawing near, but it's in a special way, because it's not just saying that he's coming near, so look for that, but it's saying to be patient for the coming of the Lord, to wait for his coming and to draw near, to not be comparing ourselves, to not be complaining, not to be wasting our time away, but to rather really be waiting in that humble patience and anticipation, yes, but also noticing the way that the Lord is coming. 
And that sort of patience is really something that he wants to draw out in the prophets, because we know that the prophets often had a hard time, that they were either preaching messages the people didn't want to hear or messages the people didn't believe. And nonetheless, they were largely rejected, and so they had to continue their work even without reward. So they were continually persisting, they were waiting, but they still had to do that work nonetheless. And so St. James is telling us to be like them, to be persistent, to be waiting for the day of the Lord, and indeed, because he is drawing near. Then finally, we arrive at the Gospel according to Matthew. In this one, we hear that John the Baptist is in prison at this time. He's never been one to mince words, and because of this, he's run afoul of so many different leaders and rulers, and especially the king at the time, so much so that he was thrown into prison. And so, while he's in prison, though, notice that Jesus is very early in his ministry, and yet he's hearing all of these different profound works that the Lord is doing. And so he sends a couple of his disciples because he's curious. And the disciples ask Jesus this question, Are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? And Jesus responds, and it may not seem like a direct response, but if we take it in tandem with what Isaiah is telling us, then it is a response, and a very powerful one at that. He tells them, go and tell John what you see, that the blind regain their sight, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lepers are cleansed, the dead come to life, all of these different occasions. If we look back at Isaiah, we know that he told that whenever the Lord was coming, that all of these things would be taking place. And so Jesus is telling him, yes, I am the one that is to come. I'm the one that's in your midst right now, that I am the one that you were prophesying about. And so John is really looking forward to that moment, and it's finally arrived. But then Jesus starts to speak to the crowds, and he tells them that as much as they were looking for John the Baptist, there's something still more profound at work and at play here. Because he's trying to remind them that John the Baptist, he was pointing the way towards someone else, and that moment's finally here. That even John the Baptist, as great as he was, that the one that is in the kingdom of God is still greater than he. Because if the Lord is in their presence, then salvation is at hand. That he's telling them this news not to frighten them, not to scare them, but to really give them the, that good news, to give them that spirit of rejoicing, one that might be far from their grasp. And so Jesus is really trying to reassure them, to comfort them, but to let them know that he is there to bring the good news. But here's the question. Whenever we hear that good news, whenever we see what Jesus is doing, whenever we hear what Isaiah and St. James are telling us, are we filled with joy? Are we filled with hearts that are rejoicing, that are overjoyed at the Lord's coming? Or are they ensnared and entrapped by so many different things that are in this world? Because largely, whenever we walk through life, we do receive a lot of joys in this life. We receive the news of the birth of a child. We get a promotion at work. We accomplish some great achievement. And as good as those joys are, often they're there for a time and then they slowly fade away. But are we captivated by what the Lord is saying? Because if we're captivated by this joy and by this profound presence, this peace and this comfort, then we're going to be filled with rejoicing, not just today, but also tomorrow and many, many weeks and years down the road. Because we see that this isn't just joy for now. This is joy for far into the kingdom of God. This means that salvation is indeed at hand. It's possible that the Lord is truly here and he wants to restore us to life. Isn't that profound? Because oftentimes in our life, we can simply lose sight of that fact. That oftentimes, as many joys as we receive, we receive so many sorrows, so many trials, so many afflictions, so many things that make us sad or simply make that joy fade away. That so often, we can encounter those disappointments, those sorrows, those miseries in life, and we can start to despair. 
but are we captured by those things? Because that's not what Jesus is telling us to be here. That's not what his coming brings to us. That's not what anticipating whenever he comes again in his glory should bring into our hearts and our souls. Because if we're truly captivated by that joy, by what Isaiah is saying, by what James is saying, or by what Jesus himself says, then we're going to really be captured by that spirit of rejoicing. But it's up to us to be that bold. Because Isaiah, whenever he's speaking to the people so long ago, he's not just speaking to them, but he's speaking to us. Because often we're the ones that are blind, we're the ones that are lame, we're the ones that are speechless, the ones that are not really able to capture that joy. And it could be because of the world, it could be because of different things going on in our life, it could be because of the hand of cards that we're holding right now, that life could seem bleak and almost unbearable. But if we really seek after the Lord, what is it going to do to our hearts? Well, in Isaiah, it tells us that it renews the desert. It turns all the afflictions that one has into joys, into things that are the exact opposite. But we have to be willing to let go of those things first that hold on to our hearts. We have to be willing to let go of those sorrows, those mournings, those afflictions, those things that get in the way of our relationship with God. We have to be willing to surrender those to Him and truly let that joy take its place, even as we anticipate the Lord and His coming. And that's truly something that we can set our hearts and our souls on at this moment. But we should be aware of what St. James is saying as well. That sometimes in life we have to be patient. That faith really manifests itself and it tells its worth in those moments whenever we're looking forward to the future, but we're not there just yet. That perhaps the Lord is giving us a simple short time that we're enduring something just for this moment. But the Lord wants to give us that joy in the future. So if we're patient, if we're persistent, if we wait on the Lord because we know he is coming, then our hearts will still be filled with joy even in the midst of sorrow or even in the midst of pain. That we have to be resolute just like those prophets were, as St. James reminds us. But this news isn't just for us. Take a look outside in this world today. Watch the news this evening, and you'll see that we live in a world largely devoid of this, one that really struggles to see the joy that the Lord wants to bring, that it often comes into the darkness, and it only captures that, and it strives for that, and it simply lives in that. But that's not the way the Lord designed it, because the Lord wants us to live in that joy and that hope and that peace and that comfort of the anticipation of His coming. And if we do that, then we have no room for darkness in our life. We have no room for that sorrow and that mourning, even though they might struggle, or we might struggle with it for a time, that they shouldn't be there forever. That that anticipation and looking towards the Lord should truly be our joy and our source of rejoicing. Because whenever we hear what the church is giving us today, it's that simple reminder. We might be in the midst of exile. We might be in the midst of affliction or great pain in our life right now. But look at what's coming. It doesn't ignore the fact that there is pain, there is exile, or there is sorrow, but it points us towards that future, that place where there is no more, the no more pain, no more sorrow, no more mourning, because it wants us to be aware of that fact and not to despair in our hearts and our souls, but truly capture that joy. The Lord may not be here just yet. It may not be Christmas just at this moment, but we're looking forward to that moment anyway, that we anticipate that moment with great joy and with anticipation and with that peace and that, that strength that comes from it so that we can truly celebrate that even here and right now. Because that hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that there's all sorts of sorrow, there's all sorts of pain and all sorts of distress at the beginning, but that constant and punctuating refrain, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. 
is not just speaking to the Israelites a long time ago, but it's speaking to each and every one of us, that that theme of rejoicing should be ours, that that Gaudete, that joy, should be for all in each and every one of us, and it should be something that really renews our hearts, our minds, and our souls, even in the midst of this valley. So my brothers and sisters, the church gives us this simple theme, joy, rejoicing. It wants us to seek after the Lord because he is coming. Let us truly renew our hearts and our souls. Let go of the sorrow and pain and speak to one another these words of great joy. For the Lord is indeed coming and will not delay.